This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello, people. I'm off to meet the highly talented Mae Martin today, who I've been a fan of for a while now. I'm just having a spot of uh, last-minute panic brunch, which is toast spread thickly with Biscoff spread. It spreads so thickly that when I bite in, you've got to be able to see your teeth in it. It's very claggy, very sweet. Okay, so Mae is an actor a writer and a comedian who started playing the comedy circuit in Canada when they were only 13 years old. That blows my mind a little bit. They've performed their award-winning stand-up across the world. They've written a 21st century guide to sexuality called, love this title, Can Everyone Calm Down Please? (laughs) Their TV show, Feel Good, has just started its second series on Netflix And um, it explores their journey with addiction as well as gender and sexuality, which are all things I'm hoping we can discuss today over their favourite snacks. Okay, one more bite. Yeah, I should probably clear my teeth. May Martin, welcome to Comfort Eating. You are the first person that's come uh, who actually has a food-related tattoo on you. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I do. Wow, that's yeah. good research. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have the word oatmeal tattooed on my wrist there. It makes you look a little bit like a robot, the way that Yeah, it's- almost like a barcode or something because it's flipped mirror image. So it says oatmeal twice. I'd gone away for the weekend with some much older comedians and... I was trying to be cool and I had said, yeah, I think I'm going to get a tattoo. And then one of them just as a joke was drawing ideas on me. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I 
went and actually got this as a prank. And the look on her face when I showed her was she was horrified. So there isn't any actual meaning behind oatmeal? You know, it it was really funny on the day and then it has been slightly less funny every day since. <laughs> but um, I, it's better than oat milk. I think that would be too kind of millennial. Is there any word on you that does mean something? I have some friends' names. But if you do you have an addictive personality, would you say? I have an obsessive personality. I do love all the things that you can get addicted to. Yes. I love them. But then I'm very good at saying, stop it. That's what I'm thinking because tattoos are quite addictive. And then once you've broken the seal, anytime something interesting happens in your life, you think, well, I better get a tattoo. Each week, I get to try my guest's favorite comfort food, the thing you'd make when you're just minding your own business at home. What have you brought for me, May? This is... Oh, um, wow. This is a peanut butter and banana sandwich, um, which I'm going to fry. Oh, my gosh. In the way that you would fry a grilled cheese. Just the frying adds an extra texture, a flavor. It turns the bananas into a kind of jam. It's full Elvis Presley fried (laughs) banana sandwich. I'm trying to work the oven. This is step one. So... Here we go. Use your instinct. Yeah. This is like a challenge. Whoa. I almost lit my eyebrows on fire. Okay. I'm just going to turn that down a bit. Grace. I sense that you do cook. I'm good at assembling different things from M&S, but in a way that feels artful. (laughs) Okay. I'm melting a a small amount of butter. I don't want it to be greasy. You can go big on butter because I believe that you can always buy bigger clothes. So in England, our... um, Grilled cheese, you'd call that a toasty? Well, where I was from, you'd just call it cheese on toast. Oh, right, yeah. And even then, like, my grandparents, I don't think they ever had melted cheese, ever, in their entire life. I think that they thought that was just a step too far. I flipped them. So you flipped them. Yeah, but I might have to flip them again. they're, They're looking good. They are looking good. They smell good as well. Yeah. Why and when do you eat this? How did it come about? I'm remembering getting home from school and my parents being busy and wanting to watch TV. What were your parents doing? My mom was probably out with her friend, Tony, who was a uh, hairdresser, Mm -hmm. (laughs) probably having a few drinks. And my dad was um, often up in his study writing or, you know, we'd all have dinner together, but there was this blissful period after school before dinner where... Four o'clock till seven. Oh, wonderful hours, right? And I'd make a snack. I find it hard to watch TV without something to eat. See, this is quite a dangerous thing for a child to make. Yeah. Were you kind of absurdly mature? I think so, or I thought I was. And I was I was always pretty good at fire safety. Okay, <laughs> I'm going in. Let's try it. Uh, I'm so nervous. There's a thick layer of banana. The banana hasn't quite caramelized. Mm. The peanut butter. It's claggy, if anything. It's claggy, but claggy is good. Claggy is comforting. Yeah, that is really tasty, actually. It's very, very good. Now, as well as having this very successful career as a stand-up and a radio host and an author, you've also got your own sitcom, Feel Good, which you co-write and star in as yourself. 
and it's been nominated for a BAFTA. Or by the time this comes out, it could have won a BAFTA. Can you describe the show for people who've not seen it? Well, Feel Good is a semi-autobiographical comedy drama about someone called May, who's a recovering addict and stand-up comedian living in the UK, who's fallen head over heels in love with Charlotte Ritchie, who plays George, who's never been in a not heterosexual relationship before. And so it's it's a love story and it's about addiction and friendship and and love. I've got a question that we need answered. Why Susan Sarandon? Oh, right. Yeah, there's a, a sex scene in the first season where we do a role play where I get George, my girlfriend, to do the voice of Susan Sarandon, but it's, she's deeply sexy. I've always, I really fancy people with big laughs and kind of throaty voices. And, and um, yeah, she's the epitome of that. A bunch of people tweeted at Susan Sarandon that scene, but I haven't had any contact. <laughs> you filmed the second series during lockdown late last year and you were locked down with your co-star Charlotte Ritchie and you were sharing a flat together. What were you doing in the evenings? Yeah, poor Charlotte. We were just in our pajamas a lot. We just watched a lot of TV and films and we did, we tried to make fun activities like poker night or uh, whiskey tasting night. That, we had about 15 whiskeys. Um, we did a disco one night. Just the two of you. Yeah, we were on the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite sad. We were on Zoom with some other people, but um, we'd get home from filming and uh, and just be so tired that we'd mostly just sit. I, I did a fair amount of crying and what were you crying about? Oh, you know, because I'm sort of processing a lot of the stuff that my character is processing in real time. So, and also just like whenever I get a bit tired, I cry. Are you like that? I wish I could cry. Really? Oh, I really <laughs> wish I could cry more. I, I'm not a crier. Really? I and uh, and, it, and it builds up and up and up and up. And then I don't cry at the important thing. I cry because I can't find my other shoe. Yeah. And then just... I sit down and have a proper cry. <laughs> Dissolve. Like a proper kind of like a proper diva moment where yeah. I kind of say it's not that I can't find the shoe why can't other people find the shoe for me if anyone loved me yeah they'd find me the <laughs> no shoe. one loves me yeah. that kind of thing um so I'm you... like the first kind of suggestion of an emotion I dissolve into tears and it's in a professional setting really annoying because you're trying to be you know I'm a producer on the show I'm trying to be a kind of leader <laughs> in some way and I'm just in tears the whole time but oh well <laughs> what were you uh, cooking when you were locked down with Charlotte? Well, she's a, she's pretty good at breakfasts and things. But the main thing, and the thing that I'll probably remember when I think of that time that we spent in those flats is just takeaways. And we both like Singapore noodles, so we'd get a lot of Singapore noodles of prawns. Also, we'd you know, spend the day kind of yelling at each other or doing whatever we were filming that day, you know, something emotionally taxing or or intimate and, and it was just so comforting to just sit silently next to each other having had similar experiences and just eat eat something salty watch something trashy turn your brain off strange to talk to you about feel good mm. season one that i've seen so far because yeah i feel like i know oh. your parents yeah they're not your parents but they are <laughs> your parents so maybe we should go back to your real parents okay yeah so you grew up in toronto yeah your mum wendy is canadian your dad is British. Very. He's a famous food writer. James Chatto. How did your parents meet? 
they met in a cocktail bar. My dad was an actor at the time, briefly, and he was touring, I think, with Jesus Christ Superstar or something. And he went in a white suit to a <laughs> cocktail bar. And uh, I actually emailed him. Maybe I'll read the email because I knew I was doing this. And I, I was trying to imagine what drink he was drinking because he ordered a drink from my mom. She was a waitress. Classic, right? Waitress in a cocktail bar. So my dad said in his email, um, Yes, your mother and I did meet in a cocktail bar. Wendy was at university and working a short part-time job at the glamorous and very cool Peter's Backyard on King Street West next to the theater where I was working. I ordered a gimlet. Oh, I love a gimlet. I've never had one. It's gin and lime juice with a slice of lime. This is my favorite part of the email. He just signs off by saying, oh, here we go. I'd never ordered one before. The hit music that week was Barry Manilow's At the Copa and the, <laughs> and the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever. I fell head over heels in love with Wendy as who would not. Oh, come on. I mean, Barry Manilow at the Copa. <laughs> it's got everything going on, hasn't it? Yeah, and he was in an all-white suit. So I didn't know this about you, that you actually spent a lot of your childhood in Greece. Yeah, I think they, they wanted to move to Greece, my parents, in their 20s. They found this derelict house and they thought we could buy it for really cheap and just retire in their mid-20s. And my dad said, well, I could make some money by writing. And so they started asking around in the village and collecting these old recipes, like family recipes. And it was a good way to get to know other people in the village and also... Yeah, they wrote this book called A Kitchen in Corfu. I was born later in Canada, but Greece was, it was every summer and I mean, just like euphoric for a child to be in a tiny village where you can be out at night playing when you're six or something. Like that, that freedom. Yeah. And my most vivid food memory from Greece is at this festival that they would have every summer and the kids would just run wild and there'd be kind of music and people dancing and then they'd have this big barbecue and they just do lamb and uh, pork souvlaki and then they'd give you like a hunk of fresh baguette and put the grilled pork in there and it was literally I think just lemon and olive oil. Right. I still don't know to this day. Is that imaginary or is it real that tomatoes taste different and better? It's just a slice of tomato. I think it's real. Tomatoes here to me taste the color gray and there they taste red, you know? <laughs> I think the reason that I remember that souvlaki so fondly was that I, I mean, I've never loved like formality. I love that I was just having dinner on the go and I was playing with my friends and then I could go on my own with, you know, they'd give me my pocket money and it was the independence and just getting this like fresh souvlaki and eating it. And then maybe I get another one an hour later. It was heaven. You don't like formality, but your father was a restaurant critic. Yeah. So do you have one kind of magical restaurant memory with your dad? Well, my ultimate dream as a child was to go to this place called Medieval Times in Toronto, which was uh, you go and watch Knights Joust and they give you terrible dried roast chicken and you, <laughs> you, you eat with your hands and it's like an immersive theater yeah. experience. But so you pay your ticket and you get like a bread roll and some chicken and you eat everything with your hands. But I'd heard about this place and I was desperate to go and no one in my family had any interest in taking me. And then I came home from school one day and my dad just said, just get in the car. And it was a oh. surprise. And he took me <laughs> and we got to cheer on our night and dress up. And 
It was so magical. So obviously, as everyone thinks, you're probably eating fancy foods at home all the time. No, no. <laughs> um, I think he was so sick of food and so busy writing about food that we we had a lot of frozen breaded chicken, boiled broccoli. They just didn't have time. But now they're they're passionate about food and they're cooking all the time. But no, when I was a kid, they we ate, you know. You've described your parents as hippies and said that your childhood was a liberal utopia. They were very creative and very um, open-minded about sexuality and those kinds of things. So I, I'm really lucky that I never grew up hearing homophobic things in the house. Like they were, I think they were desperate for one of their kids to be not straight. So they were thrilled, but I think maybe I've made them out to be bigger hippies than they, than they were. And definitely when I took that and ran with it, there was real conflict. When you have to give an example of something that flew in your house that wouldn't have happened anywhere else, what's the one that you say? They let me be naked a lot and I wanted to be naked until I was about 11, like too old. Well, and thank you for putting clothes on today. You're welcome. I thought, you know, <laughs> I'm actually not wearing any trousers, but um, I remember one time playing with my friends and I really had to pee and I thought, I wonder... I think I was about 12. I thought, I wonder what it'd be like if I wet myself. And <laughs> I said, but I knew that my mom, she never said no just for the sake of saying no. So I said, can I wet myself? And she thought about it and was like, I guess so. Yeah, if you want. And, and my friends were just horrified, but they found it really funny. And I just, <laughs> I just wet myself. How did that feel? Um, so freeing. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> it's an incredible feeling. And then did you just sit with that for a while or did you get changed? I did get changed. That's it, you <laughs> see, this is it. I, I did wonder whether you just kind of sat until the kind of the, the steam gently rose yeah. <laughs> from you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I always wonder when I'm with people who are naturally very funny, was there a moment when you realized that you were funny? I remember being quite funny as a kid. And the, the moment that sticks out to me as a moment where I thought I really want to do this all the time was I went to summer camp and I was really nervous to, you know, make friends and be in this new environment. I'd go for a month every summer and, um, I had brought with me like a suitcase of costumes and just bizarre outfits. And so we, I knew that we'd have this like fire drill 
going through all the safety regulations of the camp. And so I went with this huge chicken mask on, having not met anyone yet. And I sat silently there and, you know, it caused ripples. And I, <laughs> I really, uh, I really liked that feeling. And there was a really funny camp counselor who was maybe four years older in charge of looking after the kids. And, and he said to me that day, you should take comedy classes or, you know, he said, I want to be a comedian. I think you should too. And it was the first time an older person had said, you're funny. In North America, the people who have been to camp and our camp people are just evangelical about it because it's yeah. it's like Lord of the Flies. It's the autonomy. It's being in the woods with a bunch of other kids. I had all my firsts there, first kiss, first boyfriend, and it's just wild. When you'd go on a canoe trip, you'd cook things over an open fire and that everything tastes good over an open fire. What did you cook? You'd get a bit of dough. And then we got to choose our own ingredients and we'd make kind of panzerottis or pizza pockets. What, yes. What yeah. would you call it? Panzerotti. Okay. So you're putting the dough onto a pan? No, just onto a plate at first. And you're putting tomato sauce, mozzarella. I would put pepperoni, green pepper, mushroom, fold it over, sealing the edges. You're, so it looks crimping, like a, you're crimping the edges with your hands. Yeah, like a sort of Cornish pasty almost. And then it's a little bit, yeah. It's a you're little bit. putting it in tin foil. Is there cheese in this? Sorry. So much cheese. So much cheese. It's mostly cheese. Then you're putting the whole thing in tin foil and you're throwing that into the fire and you're just leaving it there as it cooks. And you end up with this kind of golden toasted, I mean, so hot on the inside that everybody's hurting themselves but there has to be at least one third degree burn though or yeah. are we even at camp exactly yeah there's got to be an airlift evacuation or we haven't had a good time <laughs> I'm, I'm realizing a lot of these foods and my happiest food memories are about autonomy for me so this was like I think that is so true what you said everything you've chosen so far yeah is about autonomy that's so interesting isn't it you haven't chosen anything where you've said and then somebody helped me cook and then I served it to everybody <laughs> I know your favorite things the things that you put together for yourself to have some quiet time with just you yeah, inside. Just, how weird is that yeah we're getting to the deep stuff yeah uh you were only 13 when you did your first comedy show which I find mind-blowing uh soon you were playing several gigs a week and at 15 you dropped out of school to focus completely on comedy. You were so young when you did that. So what was it like being in that scene? It was so intoxicating and exciting. And yeah, it was a very adult world. I was just blown away by everyone. And I think in any industry, if you take a 15-year-old girl and put her in it, there's going to be trouble. So yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about being in backstage when it's everybody else's, well, you'd be 15 and everybody else was yeah. 28. It was weird because it was simultaneously a place of risk, like where there were dangers kind of everywhere and tons of drugs. And I had immediately much older boyfriends. And now that I'm the age that they were, I think, what the yeah. hell were you doing? But um, yeah. at the same time, it was also like, such an incredible respite from feeling different at high school and and uh I know you dropped out of school did it just feel irrelevant absolutely yeah I think well I guess school is supposed to be about finding out what you want to do and I, I thought well I found that and I'm I could 
be getting better at it. And I would just stare at the clock and think, why am I here? You spoke in your stand-up show, Dope, about uh, being addicted to drugs. But surely the first addiction was laughs. I think you're right. I think that was a, a big um, breakthrough for me in my 20s was realizing that addiction is so not limited to drugs and alcohol. And it's uh, addictive behavior has permeated every aspect of my life. And I was so obsessive with comedy, obsessive about different things in my childhood and then maybe about relationships in my 20s, like just constantly embroiled in some overwhelming drama. That, and yeah. Do you feel cleansed now? No, I still feel the shrimp in my brain, in the back of my brain being like, oh, uh, but <laughs> What's I the just, noise? <laughs> but I have sort of, I definitely feel in control. You reminded me of this amazing line from Feel Good in which a character describes themselves as a hungry, empty ghost. Mm. I love that. Like Pac-Man, yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel that. What was the moment where you decided to get better? Hmm. I don't think there was a rock bottom moment. I think I had lots of moments that should have been rock bottom moments and, you know, coming near death and things. Mm. I don't know why I'm laughing. It was a general feeling of exhaustion and, and also really wanting to reconnect with my parents. And we hadn't been in touch for a couple of years. And uh, so it was just a... a where, were I mean, they, I, where were you when you were not in touch? They kicked, I mean, not far, like maybe a 10 minute drive, but um, they'd kicked me out and I was just, you know, bouncing around the town. And, but I was sort of all throughout that time trying to get clean and, and things. And it wasn't, so it wasn't one particular moment. It was like a slow kind of replacing one thing with something slightly less bad and then replacing that with something slightly less bad. And then um, I started dating someone when I was 20 who was a very wholesome and lovely woman. And when you fall in love with someone who says, oh, I don't do any of that stuff, you're like, oh, my God. But what do you, what do, yeah. you do then? <laughs> yeah, and it suddenly becomes a lot less cool, you, you know. In 2010, you moved from Canada to London to make a fresh start and get into the UK comedy scene. And we're really glad to have you. Thank you. Say that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you moved in with your British grandmother in Chelsea, who sounds like such a character. I want you to tell me about her. Uh, how, how did you spend your days? It could be a sitcom. <laughs> Definitely, it could have been a sitcom. So I moved with this person I was dating at the time. My grandma got ill, and so we moved in with her. But it was actually, the, I mean, awful that she was ill, but it was the best to be able to reconnect with her. I hadn't seen her in seven or eight years because so could you care for her a little bit if you moved in yeah so I had about a year of living with her and taking care of her and in return she taught me to cook and she was just such a outrageous character she's an she agent called? Roz Chato really scandalous woman yeah. and uh hilarious and funny and complicated and she was really good at innuendo, like said the actress to the vicar. And it would be so unexpected because she looks like this sweet old woman. And then she'd They're come the out with ones. this outrageous kind of filth. But What did you cook together? She taught me the classics. So she was very into your Lancashire hot pots, your pies. Things like she taught me about taking a massive leg of lamb and putting anchovies in it and garlic and things. And then 
there was a dish that she made. So this is probably my, my favorite memory of cooking with my grandmother. First of all, she'd sent me out to get eggs. I'll explain what the dish is in a second. But I came back with the eggs and having never cooked, I opened the box like upside down and all the eggs <laughs> fell out and smashed on the ground. And I kind of Aww. froze and looked at her and she just laughed so hard and wasn't, just was so entertained. So that was nice. But the dish is a layer of, okay, it's a, it's a cake in a way made from savory pancakes, which are layered and each have a different filling in between of savory filling. So it feels like very classic 70s dinner party yeah. food. Yeah. It feels like the kind of thing that comes on a laminated card in a box of <laughs> recipes yeah. from the 1970s. Savory pancakes stacked up. And then so when you cut a slice, do you get all what, the layers. What might be in there? What's the layer? So cheese? The, the ones we did, definitely a cheese one. So that we had um, tomato sauce with chopped up ham in it, with sort of cooked onions and things in it. So that was the, the bottom layer. One was sort of peas, crushed peas. peas. One was potato and cheese. That's, uh, that's good. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. I'm not sure about peas. <laughs> Just peas. I <laughs> yeah, I don't... <laughs> I can't remember the other ones, but you'd end up, yeah, spinach was one kind of cooked spinach, um, you know, cooked within an inch of it's like no nutritional value left in no. it, just, no. just color really. And um, it would just sit in the fridge and you'd have a slice of it whenever. And it was, it was just a, a, a delicious, be one of those rare things that's better cold than hot. And also just, she was on such good form that day and she sat on a stool and kind of directed me she loved to boss people around and so she I just did her bidding really and we really laughed do you feel like you were a, a different person when you moved out from when you moved in oh definitely yeah I was fuller and um I had some new skills was cooking kind of part of the recovery yeah maybe rediscovering yeah love for food because I think when you're on stimulants and things. No, I mean, they, they, they don't go hand in hand. No, really. no. If anything, <laughs> eating's sort of a chore and yeah. yeah, all you want is a coffee and a mint, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so that must have been a, a big part of it. That's true. So by your mid-twenties, you established yourself on the UK comedy circuit, playing at the Edinburgh Fringe and on TV shows. Yeah. You've always been open in your stand-up about your gender and sexuality. And in April this year, you posted on Instagram that you define yourself as non-binary. What made you feel like now was the time to tell people publicly? I think saying it out loud helped me confirm it for myself as well and go, yeah, I really, yeah, that's how I feel. I, I remember I was reading, um, you know, Elliot Page recently transitioned and um, has been doing these amazing articles and interviews. And the thing that stuck out was him saying just how much happier he is, that he's been clear about that. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So what difference has it made for you to have spoken about it? Yeah, it felt it feels important to have that visibility. And for me, I, the reason I think that I said I don't identify as female or, or male, I identify as non-binary. It's something I've known and felt for a long time, but haven't articulated really, but it was because I knew Feel Good was coming out and I'd be doing all this press and that people often have to put that qualifier before your name. And so people were often referring to me as like 
female comedian, May Martin, or lesbian comedian, A, I'm so bisexual, and B, I don't feel like a female comedian. So it was more to kind of preempt being misgendered. So the really positive thing has been young people getting in touch and saying, and actually even more than young people, but parents saying, oh, I've, the way that you phrased it makes sense to me about, and in terms of my kid who, you know, wants me to use neutral pronouns or something. And I'm not, I'm not that fussed about pronouns, but I guess it's nice to hear from parents that it's helpful and, and kids. Wow, you're a role model. Thank you. So are you. <laughs> May Martin, thank you so much for comfort eating with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm such a fan and I can't believe you ate my sandwich. And that's not a euphemism. Sorry. (laughs) Sandwich, I want to go on record, was delicious. (laughs) This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Hannah Moore. The series producer is Leia Green and the executive producer is Cathy Drysdale. Sound design is by Sammy L. Anani. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. This is The Guardian. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.